1: take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest that includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind.
2: This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay, and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram... Check it out. Uh, I've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some
0: patch cords. Cool. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between...
2: In the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, only on public radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, D.B. Spitzer, and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits like the dreamlands, or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian-leaning. Once more, we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone
0: staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOL. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and as always, my co-host, my good friend, David Heath Farmer Dave Dave how the heck are you doing today
3: I am well yet tired Yeah is that, 12 or or, or tw- wired wired i guess
0: Okay okay
3: If you have enough five energy hour energy drinks after in that condition you become wired Okay
0: <laughs> What's going on what's what's new
3: So it is official Kidding season is over, which is, you know, it's a fun time. and It's uh-huh. an exciting time. It's a yeah. nervous racking time. And now it's all the, the milking time. Yeah. Uh, I did semi-related in the last week. I did get some calls in that apparently from this, what do you call your ISPN? No, that's it. Your service for, your, what's your address or whatever your internet address is?
0: Uh, UPN.
3: Uh, something like that, okay. whatever. UPN, you know, the where Star Trek came on, or uh-huh. never mind, I'm dating myself. But, um, you know, somebody from the farm has been giving the planet Earth one-star reviews.
0: Uh-oh.
3: And going by the name of Chip the Goat. Uh-oh. So I'm, I'm thinking chocolate chip's still out there. Um, so he literally gave the Earth a one-star review. Okay. Because we have One son. Yeah. yeah. Uh, He was saying, you know, why couldn't you have like, you know, two sons and then you'd have daylight at nighttime? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. He's putting complaints into the management. Uh, Apparently, uh, also, he's not too much of a fan of a gravity, you know. Yeah. So about things falling down. And uh, the only thing that this, whoever this mysterious uh, reviewer is, the only thing that it's given. Uh, goods grades too are, are mama goat milk. So uh, I'm I'm suspicious who this using our internet.
0: Hmm. Okay, all right. I don't know. It could be anyone, as as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Things have been pretty boring around here at Oleander lately. Uh, uh, the The snow is all thawed, and uh, daffodils and tulips are blooming mm. everywhere. Uh,
3: Although we have a little bit of a freak snowstorm right around where I live. Yeah. Uh, Saturday for about half an hour.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's, it's Thursday. It's, it's all melted by then. And let's see what else has gone on. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh Oblivion's tried to have a 420 festival, but uh, OLCC shut it down. And said, you can't smoke weed indoors, you have to do it somewhere else. And goes to prove that Oregon isn't as Oregon as Oregon wants to think Oregon is. But Oregon is actually fairly Oregon. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the uh, the, the yeah, the grave, the cemetery is uh, doing pretty well. Uh, tourism's back up, we're selling more... Uh, plushy gravestones and doing all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, And, uh, yeah, no, now that Kidding Season's done, you're going to be doing Tuesday Night Trivia at Oblivion's again, I believe.
3: Ah, hopefully. Yeah. What is guest trivia host at Oblivion's? For 100, please.
0: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So, um...
3: Oh, but you know, well, you know, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about it more next week. But you know, the big thing's coming next week.
0: Yep, yep, yep. The, the big the,
3: man himself.
0: The big man himself is coming to Oleander. Uh, the president I just of the
3: United States is going to be in the Pacific Northwest, and he's coming over here to Oleander.
0: Yeah, I just found out about this today. I I was, I was kind of surprised that the president would come to Oleander. I mean, I don't know. I I I kind of. Oh, wait a minute. The futurist is gone, so there's not, like, an open open thing on presidents. Like, you know, it's like – I think the last president we had come through here was Grover Cleveland. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Oh, shoot. Jimmy that's right. Carter. That's right.
3: And where you got attacked by the rabbit.
0: Yep, yep. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, no, and before that, multiple presidents officially cannot talk about any of that stuff anymore uh i had my news feed shut down so um yeah this week we are talking about uh
3: the the other big man
0: oh i just realized uh we're talking about someone in the cthulhu mythos whose name we uh, are we allowed to say it
3: so 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 go ahead and say it and and then i i'm going to, to say something okay Haster. Yes. And and so, this is coming from our good friend, Ken Haidt. Yeah. According to Ken Haidt, um, at least one, maybe two panels that I've seen him on, that Haster, the unspeakable, is a Duluthian heresy.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
3: This comes from Duluth, or Derleth. Yeah. And it was this, comma, that, comma, Haster comma, the unspeakable comma, this, that, that, in like one of the chains.
0: Okay, okay.
3: And that Daryl erased the comma and made it haster the unspeakable.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well... Now,
3: now <laughs> ben, if I put words in your mouth, please call and tell us, but I remember at least twice different panels I've seen him say that.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I've, I've, I've uh, been on at least one panel where he said that and I have heard him say that on Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. So,
3: yeah. So, really, it, it's Hastor the Speakable.
0: Okay, good to know, good to know. All right, so... Uh,
3: and and, and Daryloth, Dar- I, Dar- I think, yeah. well, we kind of go in, we'll go, I mean, we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk about where Hastor came from. Sure, But, yeah. you know, Darla's kind of built the guy up. Definitely. Or built the, the, the deity up. Um, and with, you know, the return of Hastor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've also seen accounts where he originally wanted, when he was sort of putting a, a name into everything, yeah. what Lovecraft called Yogg-Sagothry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he first wanted to call it the Hastor mythos. Yeah. And that's the way I remember it, and again, somebody can, or Robin or somebody, correct sure. me if I'm wrong, and... And spe- uh, spreading Heathian der- uh, uh, heresies, but that Donald Wandry basically came and reminded him that, he, that Lovecraft didn't create Hastor.
0: Yeah, Donnie Wandry was all like, Listen, you dummy, you can't do that. There's already a Hastor mythos. Why I ought to punch you in the chops? That's
3: so, a really good Donald Wandry Thank
0: you, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh Haster, uh as as you just mentioned, is not uh Dürleth. It is not HP Lovecraft. It is though uh a couple of people, uh Ambrose Pierce,
3: Ambrose Pierce first before uh, before Chambers.
0: Yeah, and uh Robert W. Chambers really kind of uh Took the ball and ran with it in a, a, a weird, um, surrealist kind of way. Kind of, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't want to say like folk horror, but kind of like modern horror in a way that is like horror of that time. Um, I don't know. It's uh, some people would call it gothic horror, but I don't. I, I don't know. Um, just, just... Uh,
3: I, I i think it ye, yes yeah. I, I mean and i'm not qualified to decide this sure Here i am
0: uh-huh,
3: uh-huh. um uh I personally think chambers is very gothic yeah yeah in the way that I view gothic but you know you could also say he's kind of romantic mm-hmm, and a romantic mm-hmm. you know a deconstructionist sure um, uh but y- y- yeah uh but Ambrose bears created Hoster first. Sure. And Haïta the shepherd.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Where he is the god of shepherds. Yes. So so Hoster is the god of shepherds. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's kind of Ambrose Bierce making Greek mythology. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked uh, about uh, this uh, two uh,
0: weeks ago, or maybe even last week.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's very sort of benign. Yeah. It's sort of a very benign being. And then when we get to Chambers, yeah, uh, we, don't see, we don't see... I went through, actually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some of the stories, and we don't see Hoster appearing very much in these stories. No. A lot of this is with hindsight.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: that we start... I mean, he uses the word Hoster.
0: Yeah, you know, the name Hoster is used.
3: Yes, but he it's not a, like a main character. No. It's not like until, like, Clint Carter comes out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the return of Hoster by Darylith. Yeah. Now, and Hoster almost never appears in Lovecraft. Yeah. I, I think there's only maybe two or three times, mm-hmm. but he has... He appears in what I think is one of the most Interesting conversations that Lovecraft wrote. Sure. Uh, and that is the whispers in the darkness. Okay. So, but this is where the the, the main character, mm-hmm. and this is going to be the ultimate sort of unreliable narrator. Okay. Because this guy's freaked out, and he's getting this story from this alien bug wrapped in human skin.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And where you know it says, "Well, the Amigo don't have anything against the human beings. Mm-hmm. It's just you know the ki- the cult, the King of Yellow, that keeps attacking them." Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't know if Lovecraft had, was that just a throwout thing? Was this was this sort of the lie that the Amigo was saying? Yeah. Or was he planning on writing? A story about the war between Hostor and the Migos. Yeah. And The followers of Hostor, the cult of Hostor mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the Migos. Um, and if he did, he destroyed it. Uh, yeah. well, there's a lot of Lovecraft stuff that we don't have. But he, I don't even think he even went on about it in his letters. hmm Now, and and I'm sure on the, the last part we're going to talk about uh, – Oh, all about hot store and role playing games. Yeah, but but especially um, uh, Chaosium mm-hmm. is really going to grab this. Yeah, and build uh, up hot store.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely, I, I feel like uh, like some of the old uh, some of the old uh, Cthulhu uh, fan magazines like Crypt of Cthulhu uh, really went with this too uh yeah i i feel like it was sometime around like even before chaosium but like i want to say like from the stuff that i've read in the past for like covering this stuff like stuff from like the oh goodness when is that stuff from uh crypt of cthulhu the uh the fan magazines printed out and shit.
3: Seven. So 70s, early 80s.
0: Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought it was like late 70s, early 80s. But yeah, no, you, you get that stuff starting to appear. All the names that you know and love for like modern uh, Cthulhu mythos stuff started popping up and writing things. And that's. Um, and then then in the 90s, I feel like you had another kind of like Haster kind of explosion, like sometime around 94, 95, people were like, you know, Cthulhu, everything's Cthulhu, everything's this, everything's all these... You know, and then it just kind of, like, exploded again with this kind of, like, raw, dirty power. This, this like, Haster mythos stuff. And it started getting more creepy and, like, more, like, I don't know, like, linking up things and expanding upon what Carcosa was. And the King in Yellow and how it linked to it and who, uh, you know, Casilda and everyone and, uh, you know, just, just, like, the whole Haster mythos trying to expand upon it. With like kind of like this like dirty edgy grunginess of the time, with a lot of art and stuff like that. I feel
3: so. Hoster becomes Cthulhu's grungy emo gothic cousin. Yeah, yeah. Artistic cousin, and a lot of people. And, and to be honest, I'm sure we're gonna talk about. That's how I kind of started using him when I started using him. In oh, World sure. Flight yeah, games. yeah. But we're gonna see probably the. Biggest, in I think, mm-hmm. with hot store the hot store mythels, yeah, is going to be with or to the public mm-hmm. is going to be HBO's True Detective. True Detective, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, and the Yellow King, mm-hmm. but we see him in some other places, uh, and we definitely so a couple of places, and one of them I love. Yeah, and it's an obscure. This is a deep dive.
0: Oh, is this this some anime?
3: No, it's what Dark Horse comic. Oh, okay. So yeah, no, uh, there, there's some weird anime that I would touch, but uh, Dark Horse comic did Kala of Cthulhu. Uh huh. Uh huh. And Kala is basically, she's a Polynesian girl, uh-huh. who is basically Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right In the but Hoster is her uncle. Gotcha. And so he kind of, he kind of, he he's the enemy, but they're family, in it. and it's, and it's just like it, it's a, it it's probably set for a more juvenile audience. I bought one for my youngest daughter. I bought uh-huh. a copy for my niece. Yeah. But it's it's a fun little, uh, you know, trade paperback. Okay. Uh, and, and it has a very sort of interesting, um. Because, you know, Haster is, you know, he's trying to bring around this destruction, but he's got a soft part, soft spot in his heart for his niece. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, One thing, things that I, I, uh, let's, uh, most, most of my knowledge of Haster does come from RPGs, like tabletop Mm. RPGs, Call of Cthulhu. um, Ralph. What's that?
3: Oh Ralph Ralph was saying
0: something. Oh, oh yeah, no, Ralph was uh, saying Delta green, which is slightly yes. different from Call of Cthulhu. Uh, also, um, Cthulhu Tech has a, a, a variation on So, it, I feel like there's a lot of uh, games out there that kind of like do their own spin in flavor on Haster, but Haster's flavor generally is entropy and also like artistic endeavors. That, I don't know, uh, artistic endeavors, uh, Baroque-looking royalty, a lot of kind of, like, I don't know, Austrian secessionist kind of looking stuff, Um, uh, clockwork things, uh, clockwork dolls.
3: uh, And and I think that, to some extent, that is... Our view, looking back, yes, Chambers, yeah, not necessarily who Chambers was or Chambers wrote, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I think that is is sort of the way we, in late twentieth and early twentieth first century, sure saw see, uh, Haster. Chambers and
0: that, time. yeah, 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 and, and 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 there's a lot of uh, kind of like observations and stuff like that of like Haster that, in in my opinion, is like, um, if people are going for like kind of like this uh, French thing, the period of time that Chambers was doing was not the period of time that a lot of people write about for Haster, um, but I do kind of like the idea that. Haster pulls in kind of like the opulent, weird cities that uh, then like burn to the ground or swallowed whole by earthquakes or whatever. And they become part of Carcosa, uh, the, the, the world that Haster's avatar, the King in Yellow, inhabits. I mean, that's like one chunk of the Haster mythos right there that doesn't necessarily Uh, jibe with other aspects of the Haster mythos. Like, Haster's Cthulhu's cousin. Haster is this big uh, elongated squid-like thing. Um, But there's also elongated elongated squid-like things that live in uh, the uh, Lake of Hali. I mean, depending on who you read and what you read, there's a lot of interpretations. And I kind of feel like it's less about who Haster is and more about who the person is. If things are changing constantly, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Just a thought.
3: Yeah. And I'll tell you what, where my sort of, everybody's got sort of this view. A lot of people, you know, view Haster is the king yellow. Yeah. Yeah. You're this, you know, sort of fancy robe, yellow, you know, present in his golden robes with his mm-hmm. face covered. Mm-hmm. For a, it was the picture that was on the Call Cthulhu 4th edition. Yeah. Where it's this sort of huge, blobular creature, but with, like, no bones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to <laughs> me, that... And, and that's, you know, that has been sort of my representation in my mind of who Oster mm-hmm. looks like and, and I did, a, well, we'll probably talk a little bit more about uh, how I use in role-playing games, but that was sort of my the representation that I used. Gotcha. And, and so, so much of, uh, so much of uh, Lovecraft it, it is defined by the role-playing game.
2: Sure, yeah. Especially
3: yeah. In the modern, because Lovecraft, threw so little out sometimes mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. he wrote a lot yes but like i said a hot star who is associated with him enough that you know lovecraft's number one fanboy daryl thought he invented him
0: yeah yeah the, but,
3: <laughs> but, and the truth is lovecraft's writings not counting you know his his write-ups so you know On supernatural writing, Uh you know, in this description of a chamber's writings,
0: yeah, less than half a page, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Something I was thinking about is, I wonder if Durleth thought of. Pastor kind of is like this. Like, like, uh, Durlith tends to go for like this, uh, Judeo Christian kind of way of thinking about the, uh, mythos at times, or, uh, maybe, maybe it's not, I don't know, uh,
3: my brain. So, so, so especially, uh, we see it like this a lot in Return of the House story. Yeah. That where the, he puts the eternal, uh, the elemental theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and sort of, this more, um, you know, the return of half has story, much more a good versus evil story, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so definitely in return of half of Hath, we see which was published, like, I think, three years after Lovecraft's death, yeah. Uh, or no, actually, maybe it might be just a year after, but I mean, it was pretty cool. Pretty um close. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, so a lot of the heresies end up are associated with Hastor. Yeah. And, and one of the things that Derelith does to tie the whole mythos together. Sure. Uh, is that in the Return of Hastor, the Shagoths, uh, you know, they say tickle a tickle. Uh-huh. Like, uh, the, uh, uh, penguins in, um, or the, sh- uh, in Poe, but in the Shagos. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh, uh. At the Mountains of Madness. Well, thank you very much. Uh-huh. So he So, he's definitely trying to tie these two worlds together. Sure, yeah. Huh.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, no, 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 no but the, the thing that I was thinking is, like, I wonder if someone could, and you know, maybe will, uh, or, uh, if, if this has been a thought that like, you know, uh, Haster is like, uh, the father, uh, the, uh, king in yellow is the son and, uh, entropy is like, you know, like, uh, the, 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 uh, spirit of entropy is like the Holy Spirit kind of like a, almost like a Antichrist, uh, but not quite, uh, like, uh, a devil. A uh,
3: reverse Trinity.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, almost like, like this is like, you know, it's like, doesn't even, like, God doesn't even come into it, but it's still kind of the same concept. I don't know. Um,
3: One the other thing that we do kind of see in um, Return of Hastur mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is uh, Daryl has put sort of a connection between Hastor and Sh- shub Okay. And people kind of withdraw drawn from that. Okay. That he is at least the father of some. Yeah. Of the thousand young.
0: Okay. All right. Huh. That's interesting. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I do like that bit of Del- uh, Darlethian heresy. Um,
3: Every once in a while. Guess, yeah. D- 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 quite often, Daryl is, is the broken clock every once in a while he he he's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That is a cool idea. <laughs> and I I feel like, you know, it's 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 like everyone else it's like Chambers, I love Chambers. Um Clark Ashton Smith, I love Clark Ashton Smith. Most of Lovecraft, I can stomach. And uh, but but it's like Derleth I want to pick and choose and be like well this is good and this is good and this half of this is good and well those paragraphs are good but Lovecraft wrote them <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can cherry pick uh, your your uh, spirituality from uh, Derleth uh. <laughs>
3: See, a, a, everything is headcanon
0: oh yeah oh yeah definitely definitely and I feel like uh, if you want to go an extent larger for like headcanon that's like oh this is awesome for roleplaying it's Lynn Carter all the way Lynn Carter uh, would write stuff and it'd just be like well oh, you know I, I think you know most people write stories but Lynn Carter writes, writes like would write like oh I need to write a chapter for the Necronomicon okay this is what I think it would sound like <laughs> anyway but yeah and uh, speaking of writings it's like the book associated with Haster is The King in Yellow the play The King in Yellow and you know it's it's a crazy crazy thing and sorry there's someone hammering outside but um Yeah, uh, Haster, uh, linked with the King and Yellow, the play, the two-act play. Uh, If you hear the first half, you're fine. If you hear the second half, you go crazy. Uh, Haster is linked with the Yellow Sign, and if you see the Yellow Sign, you know about Haster. And, I mean, where does
3: all this stuff come from, Dave? Um, the yellow sign, I think, is Chambers. Chambers, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Again, now, a lot of it is we are going to get from Chaosium. Yeah. Because Chaosium is going to want to... And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, no, no. But they're going to want to sell you dice with the yellow sign on it. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. going to they're going to want you to um you know b- buy their adventures with uh the handouts with the mm-hmm. colors the, the yellow sign. Yeah. Um so
0: yeah, yeah. It's fun stuff, but it's it's uh, yeah, and, and and just to remind people, there's there's two yellow signs out there that that are, are commonly used. One is public domain, and it starts with a circle, and then has some squiggles and like a horseshoe at the bottom of it, and that's the one from Pelgrane Press. And the one from Chaosium is not uh, is not free to use. So,
3: and, and that's the one that looks kind of like the question mark on top.
0: The- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks uh, looks, looks like uh, question marks in a blender. <laughs> but it's it's so, the one that's and, been around for like the last 20 ch- years so or so. So
3: the yellow sign does appear uh-huh. or is discussed in, in the king yellow. Yeah, yeah. But it is, uh, I don't think he describes it.
0: Uh, it, it it's, it's kind of like vaguely described, but not enough that you'd go, oh, I think I can draw that.
3: Yeah, so I think it's enough to to give you an idea and to where the different companies that do produce their own, Mm -hmm. they were kind of given guidelines.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's see. What else about Haster is there that we need to discuss?
3: So pretty much the rest that I have about him, I think you're more set up for the role-playing games. Okay,
0: all right. Same here, same here. I, I feel like I was starting to slip in there uh, as it was. Okay, so uh, when you hear my voice and Dave's voice, you will know that it is time for D&D on D&D, and we will be talking about Haster some more. And a uh, little little segment I like to call D&D on D&D. Talk about Haster some more. All right, we'll see you in a bit. Hey, everyone, it's me, d on the show, Glary.
2: Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100%
0: quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank inexpensive, doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks. Check out the show notes. Get a Glary.
2: Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, Submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.
3: This is David, and this is the part where I normally talk to someone, but instead, I'll be talking to myself. Well, of course, I'll be talking to you, but since you're not here, I'm kind of talking to myself. Things are calming down here a little bit, um, and so I've got some time coming up. To do more interviews. In fact, this weekend I've got a couple of interviews that I'm really excited about, and a few more planned. But today I'm just going to talk a little bit about one of my uh, about one of my favorite forms of literature that is not cosmic horror, and that is cyberpunk. And if you listen to this show, you know you listen to me and uh, DB talk. We're both huge fans of. Uh, cyberpunk and the fiction surrounding it, as well as the different forms of cyberpunk games. I think it was last week or maybe the week before where we talked a little bit about where the word came from and how it was uh, Bruce Bethke that coined the term in a short story and that he basically took out uh, three by five cards and wrote a bunch of uh, terms, tech terms and then sort of thug terms until he came up with cyberpunk that he liked and how he regrets to this day that he did not copyright the word cyberpunk the word cyberpunk to describe these uh early 80s authors of uh new wave science fiction williams gibson bruce sterling uh, beth key uh, john walter williams uh was actually coined or at least popularized by Gardner does uh, in his editorials in Isaac Asimov magazine. Despite how it may have felt at the time, cyberpunk wasn't just invented when Neuromancer came out. William Gibson. William Gibson's novel was amazing. It was revolutionary. It was groundbreaking. It was all those things that we said it was in 1983 and still is, but it wasn't 100% created in a vacuum. Gibson based it on other things. The movement would be based on things that came before. Uh, Many 1970s movies, such as uh, The Forbin Project, THX 1138, Silent Running, and of course, uh, the writings of Philip K. Dick. But I want to talk now about four things that influenced cyberpunk that date back to the 1920s and before. The first is going to be noir. Back in 1983, critics were scrambling Not only to describe the concepts and ideas that were in Neuromancer, but also Gibson's writing style. And almost every review, every deconstruction of the time, called it a modern noir. In fact, I would say that Neuromancer is more of a noir story than a science fiction story. Its setting is very much... Science fiction, post World War Three, uh, sci- what we now call you know cyberpunk, it's a sprawl setting, but its story is a noir. And if you were to strip down to its basic tropes, get rid of this giant orbital you know space station, uh, that clone ninjas, cyberspace, it's. Basically, the story, out of luck criminal, who is pulled back into the game for one last heist. That is the you know the ultimate noir trope. We have all these other tropes that we see there. The mysterious patron, uh, Molly Millions is definitely you know the femme fatale. Instead of being the alcoholic hero, Case is the drug hero. The line in Neuromancer that the street finds its own uses for things is the most noir-right thing that come out in decades. And I think Gibson has been very open in interviews in the last 40 years that he was definitely influenced by the hard-boiled detective Noir literature of the you know 20s, 30s, uh, post-world War II up to the 50s. Now the next one I want to talk about is maybe not as influential as the others, but I still think it should be discussed. And if I were to ask you, what was the first cyborg in literature? you'd probably guess, uh, you know, Steve Ox, Austin, you know, the $6 million man, maybe some 60s, you know, Japanese uh, anime, but it's actually a 1911 French hero called the Nikolot, which uh, is a word that means an animal that can see in the dark. He was uh, created by John De La Hire, and I'm sure I've Mispronounced the uh, the French name there. And he was a character that was first seen in a uh, story called The Mystery of the Fifteen, which was basically, it, it would go on for decades as this sort of pre Doc Savage, Doc Savage. But like I said, he predates Doc Savage by decades. Any sort of this genius who goes around having all these adventures. Uh, his original stories tend to be very uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, but he has an artificial heart, a robot heart, and this gives him you know extra strength. And one of the side effects is that he can see in the dark. Now, this is not really explained in the stories which are, of course, written in French, and they're often not well translated into English. And there are some uh, Nakalote stories that are yet to be translated into English. Uh, But he's given the cyborg heart, and then it gives him the power to see in the dark. Later, since he's a public domain character, uh, there is a... Quite a few uh, public domain stories later he's made. It turns out that his family's like this high priest or, of some night god, and that's why they get this power. But originally it was sort of default, but this heart would also allow him to control his, uh, the adrenaline, give him sort of super strength. If this story had been written in a more contemporary time, I think he probably would have been given cybernetic eyes, uh, in addition to the, the cybernetic heart. Uh, now, like I said, it would go on quite popular in France until, unfortunately, uh, the author, uh, Le Hire, whose day job was he was a, a bureaucrat for the French government, is unfortunately basically forced to work for the Vichy government during the occupation. And so is his hero. And it's important. I mean, it was a very sort of hard time. And and Hire was never... He didn't commit any of the atrocities, but he did uphold the bureaucracy. And there is some changes in his character's character, too. In early 20s and 30s stories, he speaks sort of very positively about the Rom. Later stories, he—they're basically child stealing, terrible, basically all these terrible things that the Nazis said about the characters, and um, and it's been argued that he had to do this to get it past the German censors. Uh, And then definitely, you know, he could not describe the Germans as invaders. There's a scene, though, where the hero is trying to get back to Paris. uh, And he has to use the term invaders. Uh, But to be honest, it's one of, I think, the better descriptions of just how horrible war, especially sort of not well known in the United States is how devastating it was on the people who lived in the the rural areas of France as they tried hard to evacuate into an area where there was no war. Um, so, yes. And, and his son, I think, tries... Well, to try to uh, redeem the character, but that's one of the reasons. Is and okay, I have to admit, yeah, that your creator was a collaborator, even though he didn't commit any atrocities, is kind of the reason why um, the character has sort of disappeared into history. But because it is a public domain character, there are some especially in the 21st century, some attempts to sort of redeem the character uh, in different writings. So when I was a child and before the term cyberpunk was created, I had heard of this play called R.U.R. for Roslyn's Universal Robots, and I had heard of course that that was the origin of the word robot, and these robots were not Machines. They weren't Robbie the Robot. Uh, they weren't R2-D2 or C-3PO. These were organic, biologically created human slaves. And that, you know, the word robot was basically a form of the Czech word uh, for forced labor. Now, this is the part where I tell you, I'm going to be talking about a play that was written in 1920. 19- I'm talking about a 101-year-old play that influenced modern science fiction greatly. There's going to be spoilers. The play's over 100 years old. I, I think I can say some things about it. And so I was really surprised to find that my grandmother, of all people, who had a collection of plays that were published in the 20s, That included R.U.R. I was so excited that I was finally going to read this prima facie source of, you know, science fiction. And and I was 12, 13 when I read it. And and a couple things. One is, almost always, if you're going to read a play, it's much better to watch it. And there's a couple of versions on YouTube, and but it's an interesting story to read, but it's designed to be watched. So if you get a chance, and every once in a while, local theater or will will show it, or maybe even um, you can see it. Um, like I said, a couple of versions on YouTube. So I would, think if you get a chance, definitely worth watching. I mean, it's a good read. But it's it's designed to be watched, and in a lot of ways, *R.U.R.* is this fantasy. In the same way, Ray Bradbury's *Martian Chronicles* is a fantasy more than a science fiction. So some of these things that we you you see in the play or you read is not maybe meant to be taken literally. So, as the robots, these biological creatures, start replacing human beings, human beings become infernal. And the robots overcome their sterility when they obtain the ability to fall in love. Even at thirteen, I got this, that doesn't happen. You know, love doesn't a sterile race fertile. But it, it's symbolic. It's an allegory. And the same way that, that Rossum discovered before the play that a type of algae could be used to create this artificial people. And yeah, it, it's pure fantasy. But, you know, KPEC was basically describing stem cells without knowing what they are. 101 years ago. So, you know, the, the guy deserves some... We also see very strong class struggle. In this work, the robots are representative of, you know, the workers, the laborers, and the scientists and the corporation and the, the corporate people on the island are representative of the elite, but also... There are Link as the audience. And class struggle is going to be a huge issue in the 20s. We're going to see this in a lot of literature. We are going to see it in the jungle. The Great Gatsby. The Grapes of Wrath. Now, we see this in cyberpunk, where there is the struggle between the haves and the have-nots. But again, it's more of a how the haves, how the corporations influence the individual, the hero or the anti-hero. And I feel this is because of noir's influence. But we see the pendulum swinging back where we see things like Elysium, the uh, Matt Damien vehicle, cyberpunk vehicle, that is greatly influenced by Neuromancer, but it's also influenced by stories such as R.U.R. and Metropolis, which I'm going to get into a little bit later, where it is this class struggle, where the future has created an elite that is by the works and on the shoulders of the masses. We see sort of the extinction and the human beings by their own technology becoming infertile. We see this in uh, the children of men, but we also really see this, this biological robots or androids in the writing of Philip K. Dick, uh, which of course you know becomes the the cyberpunk classic, uh, you know, do androids dream of the electric sheep? becomes the classic movie Blade Runner. And it it's really it's really hard to stress how influential uh, Carl Capek's, uh writings and plays. Work to a 21st century audience. But in the 50s and the 60s, you know, it was only 30, 40 years after it had been, RUR first been shown in America. It was very likely that Philip K. Dick had read it, seen it, and is influenced by it. I've never seen anything that says that he acknowledged that he was influenced uh, by R.U.R. But there is definitely a similarity between his androids and the robots in R.U.R. And we do know that Philip K. Dick did, you know, he did get together with the people that he knew in his circle and sat around in his living room and they discussed philosophy and drugs but science fiction so I would find it very hard to believe although I couldn't prove it but I find it very hard to believe that uh, Philip K. Dick was not at least aware of RUR and influenced by it at least subconsciously, if not consciously. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about what, as far as I know, is the first full-length science fiction movie, and that is Metropolis. Fritz Lang's 1927 science fiction classic. Now, I first saw it in the 80s in what I love, but is now the much-maligned rock music version where they put uh, Queen and other bands in the background music. But because of this version, it did have this resurgent in the 1980s when Gibson and Sterling and John Shirley and all those others were creating what we now call cyberpunk. Uh, Once it uh, Fandom pdx. Uh, I describe Metropolis as being very German. A- and it is. It's you know considered one of, if not the, German expressionist movie at the time. And as such, it is very much going to be about class. Uh, and the class struggle. And the haves and the have-nots. Which works its way into cyberpunk. But there's so many other tropes. Uh, the villainous... Rotwang, who is the mad scientist slash scientific necromancer, robot creator. You know, he has this this glove on his hand, and you know, from watching it, and of course I was, you know, I knew what cyberpunk was now, and the modern tropes, and watching it the first time, I thought that Rotwang had a cyber hand. And he pretty much does. If you read the 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 novel written by Lang's wife, um, he does lose his hand, and it's an artificial hand that has been added to him. We see many other cyberpunk uh, tropes, such as you know, flying cars. You know, one way I think that we really see influenced is the buildings, the Zugarot buildings are going to be the inspiration for the Tyrell buildings in Blade Runner. We also see artificial intelligence before the term is discovered. Uh, we even see sort of a, an Asian influence where there's a club, uh, Yashawaras, and in the 1980s Japan was the rising star. It had finally gotten out of the American shadow in the Cold War, and was becoming this economic powerhouse. So it became, you know, a center of cyberpunk. That and the fact that Gibson loved Japanese culture. He had studied it, he had traveled to Japan, and so he wanted a lot of Japanese tropes in Neuromancer. But, you know, here we see in this movie good 50 years before we see a, a Japanese club. The dream scenes are going to be very reminiscent of cyberspace. Now, these are four things from the 20s that I think really did influence modern cyberpunk. Especially, like I said, uh, the original literary group. You know, the, the Texas Mafia, whatever you want to call them, that was the original cyberpunks, at least cyberpunk writers. Now, th- this is not the only thing. Like I said, uh, Philip K. Dick's writing um, a whole slew of 1970s near-future movies. But these, I think, are some of the oldest influences of cyberpunk. Uh, And like I said, we'll definitely plan on having much more guests in the near future. But you know, hopefully, uh, BB and I can talk a little bit more about some of our favorite uh, types of science fiction.
2: Spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast Featuring all your favorite monsters You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio Here, your host Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio.
0: Hey everyone, after uh, after this interview, uh, we're going to be talking about Haster and the Cthulhu Mythos in your favorite RPG, so stick around, and remember, uh, check out the show notes and why don't you get yourself some uh, copper cow and a a Donner guitar or keyboard or hey if you already have a keyboard or you have a guitar why not pick up some gear to help you out they've got some patch cables patch cords whatnot Uh, they've got guitar stands they've got guitar cases do you have a really nice electric guitar but you don't have a nice guitar case for it and you don't want to spend a huge amount of money check out Donner they've got you covered there all right back to the show Hey Dave, how are you doing? How was your break?
3: I was. It was a superb break.
0: Yeah, good to hear. Good to hear. So we're talking about Haster again, and uh, you 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 said in the, the the first portion of the show that it's okay if we say Haster a whole bunch, right?
3: Um. Yes.
0: Okay. It's not like we're talking about. Little disclaimer. Yeah.
3: The People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos takes no claim on disasters that are done to your town because of the repeated use of the word Hastor.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. If if you do say uh, 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 "beetle guys" three times, that's that's your own problem. You have to deal with that. But yeah, we're telling you if you say Hastor multiple times. Um, the worst thing that'll happen is your recording will stop.
3: (laughs) Hastor the Candyman.
0: Yes. So, Dave, tell me about how you have used Hastor in a game other than Call of Cthulhu.
3: So how about this? Completely radical 5e. Uh Uh-huh. Hastor, but not the King of Yellow. Okay. Hastor as... Ambrose Bierce envisioned him in Haida, God of the Shepherd.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Or Haida, the Shepherd. Uh, okay. Hoster, the God of the Shepherds.
0: So, just as a shepherd god?
3: Yeah. As a, so, I would make him a life god, I think. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. nature. Sure. You know, the the five e's, the domains are a little bit different. They're not as many. They're a little bit more control. But nature, uh, life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and he's sort of a. Yeah, he he. he, he the, there's no description. Yeah, it's mainly this dude that's in love, mm-hmm. you know, that's praying, and it's kind of this. Well, be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. But but Haida is in Haida, Hauster is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not this malignant force that Darlus described him as. Yeah, and and that might freak a few car- a few players out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. in a campaign, you know, they're always, they, oh, we got to be careful of that, that cleric of, of Hasdor, because now he's just a nature cleric, uh, cleric.
0: Ooh, yeah, that'd be cool, that'd be cool. I got an idea. An art gallery opens up on Jingjing Jing Street in Night City. Slowly drawing, everyone's wearing kind of faded yellow hospital robes and stuff like that. It's kind of like art, but it's all about like violence and also about hospitalization and also about like, you know, um, violence against oneself and knowing oneself in the universe. But it's also anyway, it's a thrill kill cult that uh, pretends to be uh, pretends to be a uh, artist troupe, but they make their money selling brain dances of uh, throw kills, boom! There is no you know, Haster is just a, a kind of a thought that they all believe in, but isn't like a real thing because you know, no Cthulhu mythos in cyberpunk, but you steal concepts and ideas from it,
3: and... yes, unless you're playing Cthulhu Punk,
0: yeah, yeah,
3: which is a uh, <laughs> which is a, a GURPS, yeah, third edition.
0: Yeah, or if you just choose to have the Cthulhu Mythos exist in your cyberpunk campaign and uh, <laughs> just have it be very, 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 very far behind the scenes.
3: No, no, definitely. And and I think it was one of the card games that had one, one of the sections of... It's one of the collectible card games, Cthulhu uh-huh. or, or one of them, or Mythos. And one of the factors was basically um, art patrons.
0: Ooh, cool!
3: So you know you could have this uh, that not only that yeah that are are paying sort of this, this especially and this was you know definitely working in a in a cyberpunk, but um, I would say also maybe you know any sort of modern camp that sort of as a chaos. Yeah. That art is beauty. Art is crazy. Yeah. You know, and and where you've got to kind of, they're trying to create a chaos on the street.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to say, uh, Robin D laws, friend of the friend of the show, uh, definitely has that going on for his King in yellow. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, setting, um, with Pelgrane Press, it's, 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 oh man, goodness. I go to Pelgrane Press, look up, um, oh, uh, shoot. <laughs> Welcome I, to my day. Yeah, I was like, well, I was hoping the audience will look it up, but you can look the, it up the, too. Uh,
3: the Yellow King role-playing game? Yeah,
0: the Yellow King role-playing game. How could I have forgotten that? But yeah, um. Bellaocque Paris, uh, which I, I think is far more interesting than like uh, it, going with like I don't know kind of like a baroque period and uh, Bellaoc Paris look it up, uh, learn it, love it. Um, there's 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 eras that I, I think really work for King and Yellow and like the King and Yellow really kind of maybe flourishes in specifically with Paris but um, you could, do uh, any kind of role-playing game. Uh, a
3: swashbuckler game?
0: A swashbuckler game, I was thinking. Uh, at, like, you, you Okay, tell me about your swashbuckler I, I'm game.
3: I'm Musketeers.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, no, I feel like you could do Paris set in any era um, and uh, include... Uh, the Cthulhu mythos, uh, the Haster mythos, any of that kind of stuff, and it's still going to probably play. You could do uh, the Scarlet – no, no, wait, that's that's British. Is that British or is that French? The so Scarlet... Scarlet
3: Pimpernickel is a English – I'm assuming you're saying Scarlet Pimpernickel, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Not the Scarlet, Scarlet Pumpernickel, but Scarlet Pimpernickel, <laughs> yeah. which is actually – if you can find it, it's one of the first GURPS uh, campaign books out there, I believe. Interesting. Interesting, but but it's like super rare. So it, he is English, but he is living in Paris. He he's like the son, I think, of okay. the English ambassador. Gotcha. It, the book was written, but he is rescuing French nobles.
0: Gotcha. Anyhow, so I mean, we, you have like. You have like a huge swath. Like there's 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 a fair amount of French literature that you can choose that you can throw this stuff that Robert W. Chambers made and a bunch of other people add it on to. You can just like grab it. I'm I'm I'm, I'm miming just throwing it really hard.
3: Bam. So 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 <laughs> here's two here's two real I think sort uh-huh. of French. Um, yeah. One is during the occupation. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. You're going to do a, like a, a guerrilla warfare. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you've got not only you got to fight the Nazis, yeah. you got to fight the cult of the yellow and the ghouls that live under Paris.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, that's definitely a thing. I, I, I was thinking like you could definitely do World War One where you have, like, not only are you fighting the Huns, but you're also fighting ghouls in trench warfare. You're fighting occupations. You're fighting this. You're fighting that. Um, Yeah, no. uh, World fairs, I'm thinking, would be pretty cool. Uh,
3: Napoleonic era?
0: Napoleonic era. Yeah, yeah. uh, The, uh, like, uh, oh, uh, Franco-Prussian war, that kind of stuff. Yeah. my brain's so not but yeah even even like kind of like um i i I kind of love the idea of like a bunch of characters that are just like factory workers slumming around paris in the late 1800s um maybe they're they're not factory workers maybe they're artists maybe they're this maybe they're that and you could do I don't know, any kind of role-playing game system, you could, I, it's its like this kind of thing it makes me go, you can do any kind of role-playing game system as long as you're not like focusing on magic. Or maybe you do have magic in your ni- your your late uh, 19th century game. Maybe it's Dungeons and Dragons, but it's late 19th century. Maybe it's Shadowrun, but it's late 19th century. And it's like slightly steampunky stuff, and less, I don't know, cybery stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I I generally don't make that recommendation, but hey, it's your game. Maybe you haven't thought of that yet. Um, but so
3: I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a, a one of my favorite French characters, sure, and say combine it. Okay. And this is gonna. I mean, you gotta have a. You gotta have to have. It's gonna be tongue in cheek to some degree.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: And you gotta have the right group playing. Okay. The King of Yellow meets Barbarella, <laughs> just zany space opera, and, uh-huh. and and I'm talking about the comic books. I'm I'm not a huge fan of the movie, okay, but but the comic books, especially some of the more recent comic books, mm-hmm. just sort of you know, just zany, over the top aliens, and you would almost expect to see something like that in some of the comic books, where there there's a planet of the cult of yellow.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And,
3: you know, all the sand and the sky is yellow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was thinking about how you could use other cities other than France, of course, uh, or uh, other cities other than Paris uh, for your your, your uh, King and Yellow Haster campaigns for sure. Uh, I, I believe Chaosium did an amazing job with their uh, various King and Yellow stuff. One in particular had a fair amount to do with I believe, oh, goodness, it was Italy. It might have been Paris, but it was definitely, uh, like, um, Campbell country <laughs> for a bit. Um, and,
3: if you, I'm going to say, you want maybe in the United States?
0: hmm mm-hmm. New Orleans. Yeah, I was going to say New Orleans. Uh, Quebec. Ch- Chicago, San Francisco. Like, I mean, granted, San Francisco is a bay but i mean king and yellow uh what we haven't really mentioned about is like carcosa The uh, i guess the uh, the 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 the, what we're talking about is carcosa is a city that constantly changes Mm uh then we have a lake and then in the center of the lake we have where the play takes place in the palace of the queen um all these things are kind of scattered elements when talking about the Haster mythos. And I don't think they have any set place depending on who you are and what you're writing. But they're they are they're, they're all kind of like have been mentioned. Oh, I'm, I feel like I'm doing a terrible job, Dave. Help me out. <laughs>
3: well, well kind of, uh, what I was thinking would be a really good campaign mm-hmm. or it'd really be a one-shot. Yeah. But let's say... You're in 16th century England. Okay. And, and the cult of Hastor really just, they want to get their, their play out there. All right. So they're going to recruit this new writer, uh, William Shakespeare.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: To, to, to write, to do a, a modern version, a modern version that the whole world will see. Gotcha. And so the players got to basically team up with Shakespeare and prevent him from writing what would be his masterpiece.
0: Hmm. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. Um, I was I was thinking about, like, what if you did a game that... Like, okay. One thing that I feel like you can always have happen in a game, and it doesn't matter what the time, what the date, what the setting, is dumping people in Carcosa a maze-like city that somehow you end up across the across the water in a, in a castle uh, in, in in a palace and i don't know it's 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 like i feel like you can use Carcosa in almost any setting and 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 it's it, it can be any tech level it can be any whatever, and you just dump people in Carcosa for a short period of time, just kind of like, even as a threat, as, as a like kind of like, this is the power of the king. The king can bring you in and out whenever they feel like it. Uh, the king can uh, do things, like, there's some really good examples of things that can, uh, you notice the uh, Haster's influence on the world around you, and that's a lot of what... The Haster mythos is it's 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 about Haster's influence and corrupting things around you, and like uh, examples would be like finding weird clockwork toys. Um, kind oh man, uh, can, can can you think of any examples that uh, are are of uh, that, that that give you uh, a, a feeling or a sense that Haster is.
3: So, 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 I think who really gave us some good examples mm-hmm. is Chambers and Repair of Reputations. Okay. So, in this one, it's almost, it's, it's, it's a near future story. It's almost a cyberpunk story for the sure, sure. 1920s. It had, it predicts World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, it predicts a military, I mean, things that don't, but a militarized America. Okay. Suicide machines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you could start seeing things like that. That is the character cut between our reality or the character's reality.
0: Sure, sure. Okay.
3: And this, you know, this uh, alternate dimension that we see in The Repair of Reputations.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no. I was I was thinking more along the lines of uh, chambers and other stories within uh, the king in yellow, like uh, finding uh, like goldfish made out of marble, or, <laughs> or,
3: or, or or even even like this house you've been to a lot of times. They didn't replace the carpet or the the wallpaper, but it's all more yellow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can even pull in elements from, uh, not related, but just name-wise, uh, the yellow wallpaper.
3: Uh. <laughs> sure, or, or, or True Detective. Sure, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, also, I want to say, uh, there's elements of, oh goodness, Arthur Macken's stuff that I feel fits in well with, the Haster mythos in ways that I find hard to explain. Um, Oh, yeah. No, I I, I do. (laughs) I just do. (laughs) You
3: know, know, you'll get easily it's like three imposters. Yes, it's definitely... They could all be in the same... And and, and and to some extent through Cthulhu mythos they are, but yeah, they could all be in the same setting.
0: Yeah, and there's there's generally the sense of uneasiness, creating this sense of uneasiness, uh, having the play The King in Yellow in it, and where like they only see like the first half, or maybe they see the whole thing, and they're like, what's the big deal? And then stuff just starts slowly changing around them. You know, have it all start with them finding a book. Have it start with them finding a play, you know, um, finding sheet music, finding an old film. And it just kind of like everything else, everything else in the game is going on as the game would go on. But then you have this thing, this influence of the king that keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And then, boom, you're at a point where you can't ignore the king anymore. The king wants your attention. He is either going to affect you directly or somehow figure a way to pull you into Carcosa You need to witness something, you need to be a part of something, something's going on with the king in yellow, and you for some unknown reason are part of it. Maybe someone will try and trick you and make you feel like you're actually next in line. Maybe uh, someone in your family was once invited to something and they didn't show up and you're the last living person. Uh, maybe you're the sacrifice for a cult, but they want to trick you into making you believe that you are royalty or that you are somehow uh, going to inherit something that in this palace that you need to go to. Uh, theres I, I don't know. I feel like it's so vague and so weird and so strange. You can do so many things with the king in yellow.
3: Yeah, you know, absolutely, including, I mean, you know, that's part of, the, that's why we play role-playing games, that's sure. why we are Game Masters, so yeah. that we, can, we can do this, but you could really sort of maybe subvert people's expectation and make it the Queen in Yellow.
0: Yeah, no, no, and I have to say, one thing that if you're going to do stuff with the King in Yellow, subverting expectations, especially... Especially if you're playing with gamers who've done stuff with Haster, the King and Yellow, Carcosa, uh, the Play, the King and Yellow, any of that stuff in the past. Uh, do stuff to subvert expectations. Don't do stuff to like totally make them go, oh, okay, so Bayek here actually poodles? What? Um, yeah, no.
3: Or or, 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 or if you're going to do it that way, do it for a while just to get them off guard when you really hit them.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 no, subvert expectations. You could always have, like, a fake cult of Haster that, like, get get everyone believing that Haster's, like, this, like, benign, nothing uh, shepherd god and then smack him with the real thing. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm just a country kid who knows Haster is the shepherd god. Well, I'm going to go to this fancy art show and see some... See some haystacks. See some see some pictures of goats. This is not what I expected. Ah, I've been drawn into a world of mayhem and entropy and art. <laughs> I don't know. You're the dungeon master. You're the you're the game master. You're the keeper of arcane lore. You've got a better idea of what's gonna go better with your campaign than me and Dave do. We're just here to make suggestions. Although our suggestions are pretty awesome. Combined, well, really are. we have uh, over 100 years of gaming experience, I think.
3: Uh, quite up there. <laughs> I don't think 100. I don't think our ages <laughs> quite make 100. But... I know, but it sounded good. <laughs> it did sound good. Over 50 years of gaming experience. <laughs> Legal disclaimer 100 years is not necessarily temporal time <laughs> for these purposes.
0: Yeah, no, I was talking about at the end of our lives at least 100 years of gaming experience. Yes,
3: or do we?
0: <laughs> yeah, anyway, so uh, next week we're talking about something in the Cthulhu mythos, and I think it starts with an H or an I. I.
3: I believe it's going to start with an I. Oh! Because among other things, we are going to be talking about in's mouth.
0: Oh, I was thinking we're going to be finally talking about iod. Um, <laughs> you know, iod's a vegetable and animal and a mineral.
3: Yes. Um. So yeah, we'll be speaking some I things. Soon.
0: Sure. Yeah, definitely some eye things, but not flying eye things. We've already covered those ones. Uh, Uh, I don't think we have any more flying eye monsters for a while, but we do have things that start with an eye. Yes. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Join us next week when we talk about eye things, and we probably will have a guest, so check that out And thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and click that notify bell. I'm kidding. This isn't. Oh, yeah. Actually, no. This is on YouTube. So check that out. And also, um, if you are watching this on YouTube, check out... The upcoming Cyberpunk 2077, which is mostly commentary, not not mostly commentary. It's gameplay with a little bit of commentary, and it's my way of saying thanks to Dave so that he can watch it, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> well,
3: that's my way of saying you're welcome. No problem. You're welcome. Oh, no. Oh, no, thank you.
0: All right. Well, everyone, thank you again, and we'll see you next time. You say bye. Bye. All right. That was a good episode.